0: Hello, friends. This, again, is not Betsy. It's Catherine, the producer who puts all this content up in the air so you can bring it back down onto your phones or whatever device you use. Betsy is taking just a little bit more time off with the new baby and the holidays, so we are presenting a best-of episode. If you have questions, though, for when Betsy does start recording new episodes, which will be soon... Just go on to affordableinteriordesign.com, click on the media resources tab, and then hit podcast. And if you're a premium member or a regular member, just click on either and put in your question. She would love to have as many questions as possible because she misses you. So I hope you enjoy this episode and happy holidays. Are you a fan of this podcast? amazing check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look, be your own interior designer. This is Affordable Interior Design, the podcast. Here's your host, Betsy Hellman. Guys, do you know what one of my pet peeves is? Something that just drives me crazy is when it's a holiday or maybe the dog days of summer. And your favorite podcast takes a vacation and all you want to do because you find yourself with a little extra time. So all you want to do is listen to a new episode, you know, maybe escape your family or the festivities for a half an hour or so. Go have some personal time, take a drive in the car, or maybe you're quarantined in the kitchen doing all the dishes after dinner. And you want to listen to a good podcast, but no new episodes are being released. Well, I am not going to do that to you. My holiday gift to you this Christmas Eve is that I am going to release a new episode you are welcome. You have something to do, something to listen to while you're basting the turkey, while you're doing the laundry, while you're driving to grandma's house. I am here for you. I get it. As a podcast enthusiast myself, I wouldn't let you down. All right, so here we go. My first question comes from Christy. Christy writes, Hi Betsy, I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time. Recently, I became a premium member. I'm currently working my way through your bonus episodes and I'm enjoying that thoroughly. Christy, I'm so glad to hear that. And that's why your letter popped to the top of the mailbag. You actually just sent it in, and I'm recording it on the same day that you sent it in because you're a premium member. Guys, if you want an immediate answer to your questions, and plus if you want a new bonus episode that's only for premium members every month, plus access to my archive of dozens of bonus episodes while you will want to become a premium member. Go to AffordableInteriorDesign.com and click on the podcast tab. You'll see you can join there for $5.99 a month and the more months you join, the cheaper that becomes and it really helps to keep us on the airwaves. So if you appreciate this podcast, if you love listening to it, please help support us, especially this time of year when You know, as things come to a close, we're evaluating expenses, we're looking at costs, and it would be such a big help to us for you to join our premium member group. All right, Christy, back to your question. Your question is about artwork. My husband and I have quite a lot of art that we've collected over the years. We'd like to get it framed and hung up but I don't have any confidence in deciding where it should go and how it should be grouped together, especially since we have many different types of art. We have artsy professional photography. We have prints of vintage posters. We have an original watercolor we also have an original oil painting. We have a large wall to fill. Can different types of art be hung together in a grouping on that same wall? Or should the type of artwork be consistent when it's grouped together? What about in different areas of the same wall? Not necessarily in a group, perhaps even with a window separating them? Maybe in the same room. What about nicely framed personal photographs? Can those be hung adjacent to professional artwork or should they be reserved for a grouping with other personal photos? I'm so lost on where to begin and I have a lot of blank walls. As a follow-up, if different art is hung together, do the frames need to match? I will attach a few examples of our artwork so you have an example of what I'm working with. I hope I've explained my dilemma sufficiently. Any advice is greatly appreciated. I'm really stuck as to what to do. Happy Holidays, Christy christy happy holidays to you as well i hope you get this artwork up before your friends and family descend on your home maybe you're entertaining this holiday or maybe you're going to somebody else's house and you have some time but definitely get it up by the new year because art really visually completes a space it makes it more personal visually interesting it adds the soul in my opinion and as a former artist It really brings a layer of complexity and inspiration. For instance, quick vignette. You may have heard my interview with Monica Schulman on my podcast. She's a local artist here in Westchester. But even before I moved to Westchester, I was commissioning her art from Etsy. I found her. I had no idea where she was located, but her pieces immediately resonated with me. They certainly resonated with my clients, and I was buying a lot of them. Well, I moved up to Westchester... Uh, And I didn't know her, by the way. Like, she'd send me the art. One time she dropped it off to my apartment in the West Village. And so it was fun to get to actually meet her, but we didn't keep in touch other than professionally. So I move up to Westchester. um, And that very month, my street is having a block party. Well, on the block party email list, I guess she saw my name. She reached out to me. We live like. 10 houses down from each other now we see each other all the time our kids go to school together and so she will bring pieces of art into my storefront that i get to display and i'm open she can bring in whatever she wants you know the storefront is really well located in the center of main street but it's a small town so it's not like people are constantly flooding in the artwork almost feels like it's a little exhibition just for me even though people do come in they do see it they do remark especially on our Facebook lives and things like that well anyway the other day she was having a big exhibit at Pulse Miami and so she had to come by and take all the paintings away and I tell you what it was like The wind got knocked out of my sails. I came into the office the very next day with the bare walls, with the nails hanging up, and it was not the same. It felt really sad. And I was like, you know what? I think I need one of these for my very own. I think I don't want ones that people can take away and switch out anymore. I had grown particularly bond and connected to one particular piece, and I looked at it all the time while I was sitting on my desk, but I had no idea how it was kind of weaving itself into my self-conscious, um, weaving itself into my self-conscious. Is that what I said? There were a lot of selves in there. And I had no idea what an inspiration it was to me every day until it was gone. So don't take your artwork for granted. And a lot of my clients don't have artwork that resonates with them. So Christy, you have a very good problem here because you have beautiful artwork. It seems that a lot of it's personal. It seems that you have connections. You even have original pieces, which is very rare and very typically expensive. So kudos to you. But if you're someone out there who doesn't have original art in your lives or maybe doesn't have art at all, I would challenge you to seek out some meaningful art in 2020. Keep your eyes open. Look for local artists that you can champion. Scroll online and see if anything, you know, inspires you, but make it a priority to put something on your walls because even subconsciously, you'll be surprised at how inspired you feel. All right. Now for your questions, Christy. Okay, you have a lot of questions here, so let me see what I can tackle first. So you have a lot of art and it's disparate and you have a very large wall to fill. Different types of art can certainly be hung together and grouped together, especially smaller pieces that may get lost if they're out there on their own on a wall now the most important thing before you even think about where to put this art or how it should be grouped is that you need to have your furniture in its final resting place And I mean this in a positive way, right? You need to have committed to your layout. I never hang one piece of art until I have all the furniture in the room in place. Not even art for the hallway, right? Then I like to layer on those textiles to see where I'm already supplied with color, pattern, texture, which can serve as an artistic expression. And then I'll know what areas are vacant, what areas need some love, what areas are really a focal point in the room when I'm sitting on a chair, when I'm sitting on the sofa, because of course we want people to be able to see that art not only when they first walk into the room as that kind of wow moment, but also when they're seated, what are they gazing upon, right? So do that first. I don't even think about art. I'm doing an installation next week in Grand Mercy Park in New York City. And it's the first day. And it's a totally empty two-bedroom apartment. We're going to have lots of assembly, lots of rugs to unfurl, lots of lamps to assemble and illuminate, right? And the woman asked me, Betsy, do you want me to bring over all my art? No! No, I do not want you to bring over all your art. We won't need that until installation day three. So keep it at home, keep it safe, let me and my team put everything in place and then we ice the cake. Now, once you've got all the furniture in place, you can group that art it does not have to be consistent. It does not have to look the same. It does not have to be framed the same. But the more different the art, the more different the frames, the more eclectic the gallery wall. So hopefully that's a style that you feel comfortable with. That's a style that you want to embrace because that's the vibe a medley, a motley crew of artwork, gives off. If you have a more traditional or even transitional style. You may want to make all the frames homogenous, right? Even if the artwork inside is disparate. If you have a very strict sensibility, then you may want to do something symmetrical. You may want to make sure that it's a series. You may want to be much more conservative with your groupings. Now, I don't like too many pieces of the same type, like too much personal art, too many original paintings, too many prints and posters, which is the main trap my clients get stuck in, in one room, because then it starts to look like an exhibition of only prints and posters and doesn't feel like a well-curated space. So you wanna make it a mix in each room. For instance, in my living room, I have pictures and frames that are personal. I have a lithograph on one wall. I have an oil painting on the other wall and unfortunately I don't have too many walls so that's all we can do but think about curating and making each space reflective of the different styles of art you have also you want to make sure that the artwork reflects the color palette that you've chosen so look at that artwork critically if it's not your inspiration piece and say you know does it have my 60 30 10 palette because if not it probably shouldn't go in that room I think that should give you a good sense and you know like i said this is just the icing on the cake in fact it might even be the sprinkles on the icing on the cake so make sure the cake is baked first and now it's time for a quick commercial break have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one on one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. All right. My next question is from Crystal. Crystal writes, hi, I have a round pedestal dining table. I want to purchase a rug to fit under it. Should I purchase a rug to fit the table as it is, four chairs? Or should I purchase a rug to fit the table with the extension, which would then become an oval table with at least six chairs? Thanks. I love your podcast, Crystal. So Crystal, what you want to ask yourself is how is this going? table going to be 360 days of the year? or I'm sorry, 350 days, whew, Uh, that coffee hasn't kicked in. I'm recording in the morning, trying to get this out to you for the holidays. So if one day a month, your table's going to be extended into an oval, don't worry about it, right? But if it's mostly going to be extended into an oval, then what you want to do is get the rug that's appropriate for the oval, which would be a rectilinear rug. If it's mostly going to be a circle, Then what you want to do is get a square rug, and I'll tell you how to size that in just a moment. Now, if it's like 50-50, if 50% of the time it's a circle, 50% of the time it's an oval, I would recommend no rug under the dining table. It's too much fluctuation, it's going to be ill-fitting 50% of the time, and that is not okay with me. Now that you know those rules, let's talk about the appropriate size for a rug. You want to have enough rug so that there's thirty to thirty six inches of rug outside the dining table all the way around. So basically, I take the measurement of the width of the dining table, say it was forty, and I want thirty inches on each side at a minimum. So I add forty inches plus thirty inches plus thirty inches, and that's a hundred inches for the width of the rug. So I hope that's helped. That's given you a good equation and some good guidelines. Go out there and get that rug or not? All right, my next question comes from Maria. Maria writes Hi, Betsy. I've been listening to your podcast and I'm enjoying it immensely. I love your vibrant personality and your direct and clear advice on all things design. We are at the tail end of building a new house and would appreciate your input on a few questions. The floor plan is attached. The first question we have is about our living room and family room. This is the toughest question. The rooms are next to each other and have a double wide opening between them. Would you recommend closing the opening with a pair of interesting doors so that we have more options for laying out the furniture? All right, Maria. Now, I've already glanced at your questions in advance, and these are all structural questions. You're talking about deciding about doors, placements of light fixtures, things like that. And the problem with this is these structural questions, these questions that involve big money and big time and, you know, a lot of consideration should not be answered on a podcast by somebody who's looked at your floor plans for five minutes, right? These are questions that you really want to mull over. These are things that you want to explore and try all the different options so you can be really convinced when you make that final decision. Renovation decisions are big deals. You don't want to have to reconsider these choices for at least 10 years. So they should not be taken lightly. You may not just want to consult an interior designer. You may also want to consult a real estate agent because they might have a good sense if, if this is going to positively or negatively affect resale value. Depending on how long you're going to be here, That might be something that you're already considering. So Maria, I can't definitively answer that for you. And I'm sorry about that. But I really want you to take the time it takes to consider. I would look at one floor plan that has the doors and play with that layout. And then I'd look at another floor plan that doesn't have the doors and play with that layout. And really do your due diligence before you make such a big decision. The next question is, uh, our ceilings. The kitchen, dining room, and family room all have eight and a half foot ceilings. Any tips on making this space seem taller? Should we add molding? Should we do paint? Tell me more. Okay. Eight and a half foot ceilings are not small, right? Eight is standard. Now, one thing if you only have eight and a half foot ceilings is that you can't accommodate chandeliers in these spaces. You don't want anything with a drop. In order to have a drop, a chandelier, or even a semi-flush, I like to have a nine-foot ceiling. So that's one thing to know. My favorite way to emphasize a room's height or to draw the eye up is to do drapes. Right, because they go from a very high point in the room all the way down to the floor, automatically making it look nice and long, even though you may not really be all that tall. Now, the key with this is you want to make sure to hang that rod above the window molding, right? Because you don't want the molding to be peeking out over the top of the rod, and you certainly don't want to drill into the molding. So, that's my favorite tip. You know, the paint color neither here nor there. I love a white ceiling and that can make things feel a little bit more tall rather than if the ceiling was painted the same color as the room, which I almost never do, by the way, um, which can make it feel slightly more enclosed. Molding needs to be consistent throughout the space. That's an architectural detail that shouldn't just be confined to three rooms. So I'd want you to do some considering on that. Talk to your architect or contractor about the overall look of the house and see if it's something that you're doing in other spaces. But typically adding chunky moldings to the ceiling will make the ceiling look a little bit or smaller, right? Will make the walls look shorter because it is truncating the walls. The amount of space that will be painted is of course less. You had a question now about the entrance chandelier. The house has a double story entrance with stairs immediately to the right of the door. Would you put a chandelier centered on the entire space, including the staircase area, or centered on the footprint of the entrance only? Well, again, I mean, this is something that needs more consideration. This is a big deal financially. Once you put that amazing chandelier in, you never want to have to move it. So again, this is not the question for a podcaster. I want you to do your due diligence. I want you to consult with your contractor. I want you to really imagine, envision, maybe they've even given you a rendering that can help you to visualize what it would look like in either scenario. Because I can't get a sense really of how the staircase is twisting or winding and there's not even like a general this is what I usually do. And, of course, your next question, I'm going to have to give you the same advice, Maria, because you're asking about a kitchen island. The house will have a 4 foot by 11 foot island, and we're debating whether to put a sink on one end. For context, we have a regular sink by the window as well as a butler's pantry sink. But I'm not sure if it's overkill to have a third sink. The island seems quite long, so I'm trying to find ways to make it useful. Now, the exciting thing about this, and I've actually been talking quite a bit about this, not only in the podcast that I did with Paulina, who went to architecture school, design school, and then has worked for me for nearly four years, but also when I worked at that high-end firm with Tom Felicia, when designers work, they outsource specialty tasks. This kitchen island query needs to be outsourced to the kitchen cabinet designer, right? They plan kitchens with their custom cabinetry. And so they are the best people to ask about the options. Now, when they give you a couple options and they say you could either do it this way or you could do it this way, that's when you consult the designer and say... These are the things that they've posited. Which one do you prefer? Which one makes more sense for my lifestyle, right? And that's a great way to use us. But you don't have to go to kitchen planning school, architectural school, contracting school to be an interior designer. What the big designers do, and the little designers too, is they outsource. So they would call in that kitchen cabinet planner, right? They would call in that architect. They would call in that contractor and work collaboratively as a team. So they don't have to be an expert in something they're not truly an expert in. Because each kitchen cabinet line has its own specs, has its own details, right? That they will know intimately. And unless we're only using that brand, which is quite rare because our clients have lots of different preferences, well, we can't be an expert in that line or brand as much as they are. So I really rely on them. I meet with them. My clients bring me in to the kitchen showroom and we work one-on-one right? And I'm sort of that middle person who's got their best interests at heart, who clearly understands their vision and is able to verbalize it to that kitchen planner. And that's exactly what we did at Tom Felicia. It was a big open concept office and across the way was an architecture firm. Now they were in no way affiliated with us, right? I think that they really liked each other, the two companies, and they found that there was a lot of you know, synergy when they were working with similar clients, but we would just walk across the office space and go talk to the architect and they would do the same, walking over to us, asking us questions. And it was a really beautiful relationship. And then of course, we didn't have to be architects. We didn't have to be experts in everything. We could stay in our lane and pick out the pretty stuff. All right. So Maria, I hope that's helped. You know, it's just like having like a really bad illness and writing into a doctor on a podcast, well, they can only help you so much. And then they might have to, again, outsource. They might advise you to really dig deeper because all these questions should be answered in a really holistic way. You need to look at the entire home, at the client's aesthetics, and how you want to use this space and make the decisions from that place. All right, let's get to my last question for this holiday episode and then we'll all get back to our families. We can't escape them for too long. We'll all get back to baking and wrapping and all the madness that is. All right, my next question is from Kate. Kate writes, Hi Betsy, we just moved into our first home and we are starting the design from scratch. Our Biv colors that we're using are navy blue, muted aqua, and blush. I'm confused about how to integrate them into our master bedroom though, and in what combinations. My instinct is to use blush as my 60% because it's soft and romantic and might contrast with the wall color and complement the floor. But my husband is wary that too much blush will be too feminine for him. Is there a way to do 60% blush, 30% navy that will still look gender neutral? Or should I flip the ratios? I just want the aqua to be the 10% for sure. We need new drapes, a bed frame or headboard, all new bedding, a bench for the end of the bed, and I'm just not sure which pieces to get in which color so that it all comes together. Help! I usually live in the land of neutrals, so introducing color in a big way is new for me. I've attached pictures of different blue and blush ideas as well as the room itself. I appreciate your help so much, and I've been telling all my friends about your podcast, Kate. P.S. We do plan to get blinds for that huge window so it won't be wearing shoes without socks. Well, I'm glad to hear that Kate. Definitely those fully dressed windows are the ideal, even though you don't always have to do that. And before I dive into your questions, I want to thank you so much for sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family. I cannot tell you what a difference that makes. Guys, if you like this podcast, tell a few friends over the holiday season when you're at a party, at New Year's when you're talking about new ideas and and new exciting routes for your life and your listening proclivities. Well, Make sure you share Affordable Interior Design's podcast. It really is such a helpful way for us to grow, to reach more people, and to stay top of mind. So, spread the word. You wouldn't believe how helpful that can be. Also, writing a review is a super big help, too, Kate. And tell others why you like our podcast. It really bumps up your visibility. I agree with the husband. 60% blush is a huge dose of that pastel. Blush is really trendy right now, and I have a feeling it's reaching its end, right? Now, I don't really care about color trends when I'm sourcing for clients, other than that's what I can easily find in a retail market. But because it is so trendy, I would make it the 30% for sure navy is certainly not a trend. It's not going anywhere. It's classic. It's been around forever. That is a perfect 60%, especially because your room is very light. The wall color is light. The tile is a very light, creamy beige. Or maybe you'd call it like an off-white with veining that's beige. So I think the navy would really help to pop that and keep it slightly more balanced. Because aqua even though you know i don't like to label things masculine feminine it just feels a little out of date in you know 2020 right but aqua also has a tendency to be a little bit feminine it is sort of a pastel color which is lighter and softer in fact maybe we should say soft and hard but i don't know that has i don't think that works across the board either we'll find words. We'll find words. If anybody has good substitutions for masculine and feminine in the design world, I would love to hear them and start using them. Because I think gender fluidity is such a cool idea, something that we should all be embracing. Well, I mean, not to tell you what you should do, but I feel like it's worth embracing. And, uh, and I'd like to also embrace that in my language around these design elements. Anyway, food for that. So I agree. I agree and 60% blush is going to be too much, especially with that creamy beige floor, which can, if you squint, look very similar to a blush. It's just missing a hint of pink and it would be there, right? Because so many times blush is actually very close to a flesh tone. That's my two cents on that. I think I answered all your questions. Nice. Nice. All right, guys, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I wish you all, no matter what holiday you celebrate, from Festivus to Kwanzaa to Hanukkah to Christmas, a very merry holiday. It's my pleasure to talk to you each and every week. It's a gift that I give myself, time to carve out to be with you, and I hope you feel it's a gift as well. All right, till next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Love learning about interior design do you wish you could know even more about feng shui styling your home where to buy the perfect furniture pieces and more well you can we offer online classes head over to affordable click on the shop tab and you'll see our three 45 minute online classes Purchase them one by one for $40 a piece or get the value pack of all three classes for $90 and we'll throw in the paperback version of our book for free. Heck, I'll even autograph it for you. Be sure to use promo code podcast at checkout to get 15% off your order. Bye.